Drowning in a sea of sin, going down for the last time when you called upon his name. He reached down his nail scarred hand and he lifted you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now give him the glory for what he's done in your heart he took you from sin and strife and gave a new start he took And he made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Do you remember when with all your heart you long to serve him? But you didn't think that Jesus could ever use someone like you. But look how he's used your life since he brought you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you What he's done in your heart. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and he made you complete. So take off those crowns of and cast them at the Savior's feet. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. I like that song. No, oh, I tell you, that's a good one. Give him the glory. He deserves it. Amen. He deserves it. One day in heaven, we'll really know that. We'll really figure it out by then. I hope by then we learn before we get there, but if we don't, we'll learn it when we get there for sure. Acts chapter 9, verse 36, please. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. The book of Acts, what a wonderful book as we see the kickoff of the New Testament church, you know, it, a very important transitional book. And here we find a number of things taking place. 
going to mention as we look for the passage in chapter 9. I just want to remind everyone that although we see such wonderful miracles in the book of Acts, we need to be very aware of the fact that it is a transitional book. The Bible tells us that the Jew requires a sign. The Bible doesn't say Gentiles require a sign, but the Jew does. And so in the book of Acts, we see a transition from God dealing with the nation of Israel to dealing with the church. We see him dealing with, again, a nation. We see him dealing with individuals in the New Testament where there's a transition taking place in the book of Acts. And God, again, dealing with Israel, but he's transitioning to the church. So in the meantime, we're going to see some miracles. We're going to see things like tongues and some of the other gifts that you don't really see today. And I know you'll say, well, I know there's some that practice them. Well, you're going to find biblically, if you do some research, you're going to recognize and realize that God doesn't need to do, nor does he have to do miracles for us to believe. That's just not how it works, okay? We don't need those. And a matter of fact, he he doesn't operate and function like he did in in, in the, the Gospels. Because Jesus Christ, again, is in the Old Testament there, and he's dealing with the the Jewish people. He's dealing with Israel. Now, for the time being, he's dealing with the church, and again, we don't need the miracles. We don't have to have that in order to believe. And so those things that are are done done away with for the time being, I'm not saying God can't supernaturally, supernaturally intercede on our behalf. I'm not saying that he doesn't heal supernaturally. I'm not saying that he can't do miraculous things today. He does, and and he, he does consistently, however... This idea, and again, I'm just going to say it, I don't care. I'm telling you, this idea of healers running around the country and healing people and raising people from the dead and doing all this crazy stuff, my friend, that's indeed what it is right now. It's crazy stuff. That is not God operating and functioning. In the New Testament, we see that there's a transition that took place. Well, why is it in the Bible if it can't be done today? Because again, it's transitional. God is no longer dealing with Israel. He's dealing with the church. One day he'll begin to deal with Israel again. And when he does, guess what you'll find? Many wonders, miracles, signs, and wonders again. Because the Jew requires a sign. Don't get caught up in some of that stuff. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by those things. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if somebody could heal the way they claim they can heal, if God gave them a gift of healing, then why in the world do they go to the doctor to have an operation? Why don't they go to their buddy or their friend that's also a healer and get it handled? I'm not trying to be cantankerous. I'm not trying to be, you know, mean or nasty. I'm just saying, be careful because you get desperate when you are in need. But don't jump to things that are unscriptural. Don't go where God doesn't. Not in this day and age. Why in the world do we find people that have that gift supposedly asking people to come to the church? Why wouldn't they go to others like Jesus did? I don't understand that. All the hurting people in the world, all those that are in need of healing, let me tell you something. If you're willing to make a trip into the church to be healed, and that's supposed to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the, the world in which we live, my friend, it doesn't get too elevated within the walls of this church. I guarantee you, if I went down in the city of Akron during a, a big parade and I started healing people that couldn't walk, I'll promise you it'll create much more of a ruckus than it will in this church. Now, that's not the message at all, and that's not even on the notes. But I do think it's important to realize that as we look at this passage today, you're going to see some miraculous things taking place, and you're going to say to yourself, man, I wish I could have seen that. 
I wish I could have been there for that. Let me tell you something. If you'll look, you'll see miracles every day. Again, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Notice what the Bible says. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Now that, that's, not, that, that, that's not describing her characteristics or qualities. Okay, this is just another name, and unfortunately today that word doesn't have the same connotation, I'm sure. <laughs> I've known people named that. But anyway... No, actually, I just called them that. But anyhow, uh, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. It came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber for so much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, Arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. It was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Well, I'll tell you, what an amazing, amazing account. Here's this woman by the name of Tabitha, and she had done such wonderful work on behalf of the Lord and the saints. Now she gets sick, and here she is found dead. The saints know who to turn to. They turn to the man of God, and they go and get the man of God and bring him to Tabitha, and, and he, he ultimately listens to what the, the women are saying, and he sees their hurt, their heartache. He sees their grief and their tears, and he says, empty the room, be gone, let me deal with this. And so out of the room they go, and the Bible tells us here that Peter, he kneels down and prays. That's a good thing to do anytime you're in need. And turning him to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And we learn that there she literally opened her eyes and seeing Peter turned to him and sat up. She was dead and now she's alive. What a miracle. What an amazing account. And the Bible goes on to tell us that it was known throughout old Joppa and many believed in the Lord. As I considered this passage, I really thought about dealing with this passage from a different perspective and a different angle. I had thought to look at it from the perspective of this, that it doesn't matter. Being raised from the dead is not enough. That's what I was thinking. I know that on the onset, it says here that many believed throughout all Joppa. They believed on the Lord. Many did, and that's wonderful. 
But I tell you today that you could go to Joppa now. You could go back to however they want to spell it over there. And you can go to other areas there in Jerusalem and throughout uh, Israel. And let me tell you something. They don't believe in Jesus Christ like we do. I'm telling you that raising someone from the dead is not enough. It won't keep us faithful. It won't continue our nation going in the right direction. That's not going to solve the problem. Just someone seeing someone raised from the dead. There's a lot of reasons why that doesn't work, and I don't have time to go into them today. But let me just say that that's not the direction we're going, though, this morning. In chapter 9, I began to read the whole chapter together, and I realized that there were a few other amazing characters and a few other amazing accounts in that same chapter. First of all, we have the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Bible begins here in chapter 9, addressing and dealing with Paul on the road to Damascus. Here he is preparing to literally take captive believers and hold them back to Jerusalem and throw them into prison. And while he's traveling, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to the Apostle Paul. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And before it's over with, being confronted with Jesus Christ and his sin, the apostle, uh, the, the Saul, who is ultimately called the Apostle Paul, receives and accepts the Lord Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. And the Bible tells us not only did he receive the Lord Jesus Christ, but also he began to obey him immediately. What a miraculous turn of events. What an amazing salvation. What a miracle. He got right with the Lord that day. He got right with the Lord. And the Bible tells us in verse 31, notice it says in chapter 9 that they had the church, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee, Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. As a result, we have the Apostle Paul. He gets right with the Lord, and the church is edified and multiplied. And then we come to verse 32. Why don't you turn there? Chapter 9, verse 32. Here we have Aeneas. And notice what transpires here in verse 32. And it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. For eight years this man is confined to his bed. For eight years he's troubled and, and dealing with the turmoil of this palsy. He can't get up and go to work. He can't do for his family. He's unable to provide for them as God would intend because he has the palsy. He had sought out all the doctors and he had looked for any home remedy he could find, but nothing fit the bill. Nothing met the need. Nothing healed his sickness. Verse 34, and Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. He arose immediately. I don't know about you, but that's pretty miraculous. 
That's pretty amazing. Not only do we have the Apostle Paul over here who's going down the road to Damascus in, in, in search of believers in order to destroy them, to wreck them, to ruin them, to even put them into prison and see them die. But we have Aeneas now who is confined to a bed, who can't even get out of that bed, but he gets back on his feet. Paul, he got right with the Lord. Aeneas, he got back on his feet. And then we noted Tabitha already. She raised from the dead. All in chapter 9. And in each case, we're going to note that something good came of it. In verse 31, with the Apostle Paul, they were edified and multiplied. In verse 35, we see with Aeneas, as a result of him being lifted up, as a result of him being healed, we see that all turned to the Lord. In verse 42, as a result of Tabitha being raised from the dead, the Bible says that many believed. You say, well, why do you bring this up? I'll tell you why. Because I believe chapter 9 reveals the need of the present day church. I I just do. I believe that that chapter 9 helps to reveal to us the present day need of the church right where we're at today. I know these are Old Testament passages and you say, oh no they're not. You're right, they're not. They're in the book of Acts, you're correct. I was wrong. Because we know the death of the testator took place, right? That's like chapter what of book of Matthew? Chapter what? Book of John? Chapter what? Book of Mark and, Matthew, Mark and, and Luke. The moment the death of the testator took place, the blood was shed, we enter into the New Testament now. We understand that. I was wrong. You were right. Isn't that amazing, a pastor admitting wrong? See how wonderful I am? <laughs> I'm not speaking about pride right now. I'm just talking about admitting I was wrong. So we're here in the New Testament, and you say, man, but they were, it's amazing what God was doing. It was, and it is still amazing. But can I tell you, the church back then was in need of some things happening. They were in need of people getting right with the Lord. They were in need of of getting back on their feet. They were in need of being raised from the dead. And can I tell you, the New Testament church is in the same boat. We have a generation today that has to get right with the Lord. See, Paul not only got saved, but he immediately obeyed. That's what we need out of believers today. We need believers today to get back on their feet and back in the race. Just like Aeneas, he was out of the bed and back into the battle. Man, I tell you, we got to get out of the bed today. We got to stop relaxing and resting. We need to get back in the battle today. Man, we've been lulled to sleep as a result of COVID. Man, I'm going to tell you, we haven't been able to walk the streets and knock on doors. We've been uh, limited in our ability to reach out with the gospel, even in a, a grocery store, wherever it might be. People are all skittish and afraid to talk to people. Oh, stay, keep your distance. Six feet, please. I mean, we have been lulled to sleep today as a result of COVID. And for months, for months and months, Christians have found themselves kind of cuddled up into their own little, own little ball and kind of afraid to reach out for fear of being ostracized by the community and society we live in. But my friend, it's time believers say, it's time to raise up. It's time to get out and get back to the battle. And then we have that Tabitha being raised from the dead. Well, we need some people that are alive for God today. I mean, alive. 
Psalm 85, 6 says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Oh God, wilt thou not revive us again? It's so easy to become stale and so easy to become somewhat lethargic in the community and in the, the society and culture we live in today. It's just easy. I mean, for months we weren't even meeting every service. We're only meeting on Sunday mornings, and I'll be honest with you, I don't care what anybody says, I am more convinced than ever, than ever, than ever, than ever, than ever, that it is imperative, it is essential, and it is absolutely necessary that we meet together in person. I don't care if we're dying with COVID. we got to meet with God. This idea that we as a church can go out into the community and expose ourselves to sin and all the negativity of the world and not come together, as the Bible says, forsaking ourselves. If we can forsake ourselves, then my friend, we have no spirit in us because we ought to be dying within, dying within if we don't get the word of God in a place called the local church. It ought to be killing us not to be here. We can't possibly grow in our Christian lives without the local church. I'm not talking about live stream. Well, you know, preacher, yeah, they were dying in that day too. But they kept meeting. What do we do? What do we do if someone comes along now and says, you can't meet no more? We stop meeting because someone tells us to when God says not to forsake? You know why we kept meeting on Sundays at least? Because I didn't want somebody to come back later and say, well, you were willing to give it up last time. Uh, I'm not willing to give up meeting locally together. Put your masks on, wear shields, cover yourself in Kevlar. I don't care what you got to do, but we need to meet in the house of God. And we need to lift our voices in praise unto the Lord. They did back there when people were bringing them, hauling them off to jail. They still met in homes. One day we may not be able to meet in a church like this. Maybe the, 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 the society, maybe the world will become so combative toward Christians, we'll have to do like they do in China and other places, and we'll find ourselves in smaller groups within the homes, and unfortunately our homes will be bulldozed just like they are in China, but we're going to meet together. Because that's what God calls us to do. That's what God commissions us to do. And he's the authority. I forgot this is the live stream service. <laughs> I take it all back. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not sorry. You know what I am? I'm biblical and scriptural when I say those things. It's right out of the word of God. You know what? I'll admit this. I am thankful and I'm grateful for a governor that exempted churches when it came time to say you can't worship. He said, no, 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 we're not stepping in there. I think that's more than just a constitutional issue, my friend. That is a creation issue. That's a God issue. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm glad for a mayor today who said, no, nah, churches are not going to be held to the standard of a business. They're exempted in this area. They won't be fined. They won't go through all that. Now, I wear my mask down in the crowd, and I wear my mask coming into church. I do all of those things out of obedience to my governor and out of obedience to my mayor. I do those things because I feel that's important. I don't do, that's not hindering me from worshiping God, by the way. Now, when I'm singing, i got to pull that mask down maybe, because, and I know they don't want you to do that. That's a, but that, to me, hinders the ability to praise God and to really shout it out. 
So I'm okay with that. Pull that baby off and let her rip. Can you imagine out in California, they're telling them, not only do we not want you to meet, but if you do meet, you're not allowed to sing? What, what? Last I checked, that book says you can. Matter of fact, you shouldn't even just be singing. You should be blowing the roof off the top. Amen. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't see that happening with a mask on. But anyway, you know, so therefore, I think we got a higher mandate than the world. But nonetheless, I better get back on target here. I'm, I'm, I'm digging a big hole. i got a big backhoe right now going digging deep. And I just keep going deeper and deeper, right? Wilt thou not revive us again? 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6. Turn there, would you please? Do you know that the book we hold in our hand is the word of God and it is always right? It is called truth. I'm so glad we have the truth. Do you know in a world of so many lies, and I'm not just talking about our current situation, I'm talking about everywhere we go. Every, every generation, it doesn't matter when you've lived, the world is full of lies and the world is full of manipulation and all those things. Listen, this book right here is pure. This book is truth. And you want the right answer. You want to come to the right conclusions. You get into the Word of God. And boy, listen to what the Word of God has to say about you and me today if you know Christ is your Savior. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Can I tell you, it is a dark world we live in today. I don't think I really even have to tell you that. But the Bible says you are not the ones in darkness if you know Christ and if you hold this book true to the word. Listen, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He goes on in Romans 13, 12 to say, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Then I'm going to tell you what, we need some believers today. We need a generation of Christians that, that will be raised from the dead and alive for God, that'll get back on their feet and back in the battle, that'll get right with God today. What's it mean to look alive as a believer then? I mean, how's that look? Well, let me give you three words that I believe will help us to, to understand what a living Christian looks like, an alive Christian, a Christian that's back on their feet again, not on the sideline, a Christian that's right with the Lord and obedient where they are. Three words, and I know there could be others, but let me just share these three. Number one, countenance. Countenance. Some of you are going, you know, the pastor hasn't prayed yet before the message. I prayed this morning, thank you. Before the message. <laughs> same message, same prayer, my friend. No. <laughs> we better have a word of prayer. I need it, that's for sure, don't I? Father, we come to you. Thank you for these that have gathered today. I'm so glad, Father, that We've come together to glean from you, to grow, to understand what your word teaches and what your expectations are for us as believers. Lord, help us to be lights in a dark world. May you just work in our lives today, meet our needs. And Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ, may they truly recognize the need to come to the truth, the word of God, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We love you, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So what does a, a living Christian look like? Let's try to make it practical. Number one, countenance. 
In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, the Bible says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Man, where's the joy today? You know, I'm not saying that everybody's down in the mouth, but why is it that as a believer we'd find ourselves so down in the mouth? You say, well, preacher, you obviously aren't living in the real world. You don't have to go out there and face what I have to. You don't see what's going on around every turn. Listen, I don't need to go out maybe where you are. You don't need to go where I go, but I can tell you this. All we have to do is look out into the world in which we live and we see darkness. All I know is that we see critical spirits and we see bad attitudes and we see things amiss. Let me tell you something. There's good reason, obviously, to be down if indeed we were lost. But we're not lost. We have Christ living in us. Man, he lives in us. And a merry heart maketh maketh a cheerful countenance. Interestingly enough, you think about David, the the, the king of Israel, and early on while he was being chosen as king, the Bible says that in 1 Samuel 16, 12, and he sent and brought him in, talking about David. Oh, I mean Samuel had already uh, reviewed all the brothers, but now David shows up. David makes his way in from watching the sheep, and he, he strolls on up to Samuel, and the Bible says that now he was ruddy and withal a beautiful countenance. And again, this is the part I truly identify with and goodly to look to. I know. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Can you imagine? Here's David. I mean, David, he, he was the low man on the totem pole. He was the youngest, so to speak, at the time, and he's out watching the sheep. He's taking care of sheep for daddy. He's not up there being treated like a, a big-time winner. No, he's down there at the bottom of the rung, and he comes strolling on in, and he has a countenance that is just exceptional. It's beautiful. It just shines in the darkness. And may I say that believers today, we've got to have a countenance that shines in the darkness. And the world's dark. Where's the joy at? Where's the beauty on the face of the believer? I know there's so many negative things in the world we live in, but Christ lives in us. Where's our smile? Where's our joy? Where's our positive outlook today? Countenance. Man, a Christian that's alive. I'm talking about a Christian that has, that, that, that's been raised from the dead, that's alive for God. A Christian that's back on their feet and back in the race. A Christian that's right with God. Their countenance is going to be beautiful and bright in this world of darkness. Come home from work and like I told them this morning, you get to kick the cat syndrome. Notice I said cat, not dog. I just lost half the crowd. Kick the dog syndrome then. I don't even like to say that. I like dogs. Cats? I love cats. I I love cats. I forgot who I was talking to there for a minute. I saw a few of the faces and I, ooh, yes, I love all of God's creatures. But you know, you come home from work, you got an attitude, man, the boss was on your case, 
Or maybe the employees ran off and ate breakfast when they're supposed to be working. I mean, you go to school and all the kids make fun of your clothes. I don't know, but things just don't turn out like you think. And as a believer, sometimes if we're not careful, man, we wear our feelings on our sleeve and we come home angry and upset. Hey, I'm doing a series on marriage. And let me tell you something. You don't come home with an attitude and think it's not going to affect the family. But as believers, we ought to be different. We need to get back to some things. There's a generation today that's got to get back in, I mean, that's got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to the point where it affects their outlook. They're alive for God. They're back on their feet and in the race. They're right with the Lord again. Not only do we need that generation like that, but that generation, of course, is a living Christian, and living Christians have a countenance that shines in a world of darkness, but also we need confidence. Confidence. A living, what's a living Christian look like? Countenance. Wow. A shining, beautiful countenance in a dark world. But confidence. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 1, look at that one. I believe today that a believer that, that is raised from the dead, that's alive for God, that's back on their feet and back in the battle, that's right with the Lord and obeying God right where they're at, right now, not only will they have that countenance that shines in the world of darkness, but we're going to see that they have a confidence that stands amidst our crumbling society. Notice what the Bible says here in Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Man, now there's someone with confidence. Not confidence in their abilities, not confidence in themselves, but confidence in the Lord. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Man, we walk around the world so fearful today. And I say we, I'm talking about in general. It's just, man, there, don't you just grow so weary of the media and even our politicians who peddle fear continually? It just seems like no matter what you do, they're telling you why you have to be afraid of so-and-so, of you dying, or possibly you're killing someone else. Or I mean, it's just everywhere you turn, it's so negative, it's so, so, just so, I don't know, overwhelmingly wretched to me. But you know what, as believers, we got a confidence today. I'm not looking to a doctor to give me hope. I'm not looking to politicians to solve my problems. I'm not looking to people like that. I'm looking to God. I have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not afraid to walk down the street. I'm not afraid to go into a grocery store. i got Jesus Christ with me. You want to wear a mask, and you have to in the city of Akron? Wear the mask. That's fine, but I'm going to tell you, with or without it, when your day comes, comes it's coming. I'm trusting the Lord. Use common sense without a doubt. Don't be stupid. But by the same token, folks, man, if you listen to the media and the, the world we live in, man, as believers, we walk around kind of, oh, oh, no, not that now. Oh, no, something new. Oh, my confidence isn't what goes on in this culture and society we live in. Man, it's in the Lord Jesus. Man, I got hope in this life and the next. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I don't take cue from the world. I don't let them determine how I feel and how I think. 
My countenance needs to be bright and shining in a world of darkness. My confidence needs to stand amidst the crumbling society. People ought to look at us and say, man, how's come you can stand so strong? How's come you're not wilting under the pressure? How's come you don't find yourself just falling apart in the midst of this chaos and confusion in the world today? I'll tell you why. Jesus Christ in my life. The Lord is on my side, the psalmist says. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Boy, that's a confidence, isn't it? I love this song. I, 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 now I realize where I got it from now. It's been in my mind all week, at least toward the end of the week. I was telling Jen this morning, she came up and played it at the altar call, and I said, wow, I can't believe you know all these songs. She said, that's because I played it Wednesday night for the offertory. And I went, that's where I got it. i got to figure the first two words or so. I, I can never figure this out. There it is. I feel the touch. Oh, let's say I messed it again. How's it start, Josh? Do you know the song? There it is. I feel the touch. Anyway, so of hands so kind and tender. They're leading me in paths that I must try. I'll have no fear, for Jesus walks beside me. For I'm sheltered in the arms of God. So let the storms rage high, the dark clouds rise, they won't worry me, for I'm sheltered safe within the arms of God. He walks with me, and none of earth shall harm me, for I'm sheltered in the arms of God. Isn't that a great song? I mean, think about that. Let the, the, so let the storms rage high, the dark clouds rise. They won't worry me, for I'm sheltered safe within the arms of God. He walks with me, and none of earth shall harm me, for I'm sheltered in the arms of God. Man, that's confidence, isn't it? How many times do we find ourselves responding different than that, opposite of that? Man, the believer today, the believer needs to have a countenance that shines in a world of darkness. We need to have a confidence that stands amidst our crumbling society. Let me tell you, that's what a, 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 a believer that's alive looks like in the world's eyes. Number three, though, what else? Compassion. Compassion. You know, our Lord was full of compassion, wasn't he? Turn your Bible, would you please, and look at Psalm 86, 15. Psalm chapter 86, verse 15. We saw evidence of that compassion as he roamed the earth. And we see three, and a, three to three and a half years of it recorded for us. However, let me say the Bible's very clear in the book of John that we, we didn't even scratch the surface, mind you. That if we really placed all the miracles and all the wonderful things that Jesus did in a book, the world couldn't contain it. That's what he tells us in John chapter 21. 
Notice what it says here about our Lord. He's so full of compassion. Notice Psalm 86, 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. He's a God full of compassion. Man, when he looks upon the multitudes, he is moved with compassion, but not only that, he is moved to action. In Matthew 14, 14, and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And I'll tell you what, he didn't stop with just going, well, you know what, I really feel for you, brother. I'm very concerned for you. I'll pray for you. No, he said, and he healed them. He took the next step. He had compassion, but that compassion was moving him to action. A Christian that's alive today not only has a, a, a countenance that shines in a world of darkness, a confidence that stands amidst a crumbling society, but he has a compassion that shows in a world of despair. The world sees there's a difference. The world sees there's compassion, there's love, there's consideration there. Boy, I'll tell you what. We have a generation today of believers that need to be raised from the dead, that need to get back on their feet, that need to get right with the Lord today. I think one of the most dangerous things is never to see our, hurt, our, our need. That's the problem. I, I, wasn't, I didn't do this earlier, but turn, if you would, to, Roman, to, to Revelation chapter 3 real quick, would you please? Chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. Look, look, this is so dangerous here. We're going to see what's... We, we know that in chapters 2 and 3, that in the book of Revelation, we see somewhat of a prophetical view of the church. I know that there were present churches in that day reflected here in chapter 2 and 3. I get that. They were literal churches, and God shares them with us. But I do believe that chapters 2 and 3 also give us a prophetical view of the church down through the, the, the last years. Notice this last church. It's the church at Laodicea. Notice what it says about this church of the Laodiceans. And this church represents the church in its character in the last days before Christ returns. Notice, the, notice this description. He says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Isn't that amazing? God would rather us be cold than not hot, or hot rather than cold, or hot rather than, than not cold. Anyway, you get what I'm saying here. I think it's interesting. He says, again, notice this. This is so amazing to me. I would thou wert cold or hot. Do you get that? You say, well, I'm not cold and I'm not hot. He says, you're the one that's driving me crazy. I'd rather you be cold or hot, but don't be in the middle, okay? Don't get caught in the middle. You know, I don't play a lot of basketball, but I can still hear those words ringing out in my mind. I mean, I watched Hoosiers. Don't get caught watching the paint dry. Jimmy's coming around the screen. Yeah, we won. Okay, but anyway. So, but you don't want to get caught in the middle. You're guarding a guy or you're, you're trying to play defense. Don't get caught in the middle and everything's going on around you. You got to get in the middle of the action. You got to be guarding your guy. You got to stay on top of things. 
Don't get caught in the middle because in the middle you're doing nothing. You're, doing no, you're, you're not helping anyone. And the Lord's saying, you know what? I'd rather you be hot or cold, but don't get caught in the middle because you're accomplishing nothing in the middle. Notice what he goes on to say here. He says, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest, watch this, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Okay, now that's their assessment. That's how they view themselves. They say when they look at their life, they look at their Christianity, they consider their churches and their work on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I am sure, without a doubt, the church seems to be thriving financially. The bills are being met. I'm telling you, it seems like maybe they are even doing certain things here and there that would seem to indicate success as far as the world is concerned in the church. I mean, they're socially plugged in. They're doing all the things that the world said, wow, this is wonderful. This is great. And he says, but hold on a second. You can be busy about work, but you're not necessarily busy about me. Because notice what he says. You have your evaluation of self, but now let me give you the real deal. Let me explain to you how I see you. Not how you see you, not how you see each other, but how I see you. Notice he goes on to say here, he says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, is that amazing? Does that just blow your mind? Here is a church and a people that are going, you know what? We are serving the Lord. We are on fire for Jesus. We're doing all the right things. Man, look at our ministry, our buildings. Our, we've got soft seats to sit in. We've got nice carpet on the floor. We've got beautiful buildings. And man, God is blessing us. And he says, you don't even know. You are so blind, wretched, miserable, and naked. You don't even see yourself the way I do. You can only see yourself on the outside. Dig in deep. Look inside. You need to be resurrected again. You need to be made alive. Not saved again, but you need to come off that bed of affliction and quit laying there and being comfortable and get up and get back in the battle. Oh, I'm serving Jesus right where I'm at, preacher. Really? Who's the last person you talk to about the Lord? Amen. Compassion? Jesus is helping people and meeting needs. Well, you know, in this day and age, we got to be careful with this COVID. You could, you know, people don't want, listen, most of us don't care. You don't care. You're not wearing a mask, most of you. Why can't we witness to somebody? Why can't we talk to somebody about the Lord? Where's our compassion? We don't have it. You know what? We use the circumstances we're in as excuses. I'm not trying to fleece you, and I'm not trying to be angry or mean. I'm just saying, when we look at chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we see Tabitha. She got raised from the dead. I'm telling you, we have a generation today in the church that needs to be raised from the dead, so to speak. It needs to be made alive for God. We have a generation that needs to get back on their feet and back in the battle again, just like Aeneas. We, we got a generation that needs to get right with the Lord and start obeying right where they're at. I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, what's the, what's the outcome of that? Well, the outcome's simple. They're 
people will be edified and multiplied. All will turn to the Lord. Many will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want, isn't it? A countenance that shines in a world of darkness, a confidence that stands amidst our crumbling society, a compassion that shows in a world of despair. Because in looking like a Christian and being like a Christian ought to be, others will be edified, many will believe and turn to the Lord. In 1973, a horse named Secretariat became a legend in his time. They'd made movies about that horse. Not only did Secretariat win the Triple Crown, but he did it with an unprecedented performance. At the Belmont Stakes, he not only won the race by 31 lengths, imagine that, 31 lengths, but he set new records along the way as he went faster and faster and faster with each phase of the race. For one and a half miles, Secretariat ran faster every single second. I mean, he just kept getting faster and faster as the race went on. Secretariat was accelerating at such an incredible pace that his trainer noted if the race had been extended another lap, his heart would have literally exploded. You know, it's always so tempting to just simply settle for the status quo, isn't it? It's easy. It's comfortable. You know, we compare ourselves one to another. We look at our lives and we look at what we're doing. Well, you know, they're not, I'm doing as much as they are and they're doing as much as me and I'm as separated as they are and they're as separated as me and, and all of us, we, you know, I love people just like they love people and, you know, and I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to do and I, status quo. We measure up in our own eyes as we compare ourselves between ourselves and others. And we're content to do so. But Secretariat said, you know what, I'm out front 31 links, but I'm going to keep getting faster and faster and faster. I'm going to push myself, and I'm going to give my very best, no matter how far ahead I am, because I'm not racing just to beat those horses. I'm racing to be my best. I wonder, are you running your race to be your best? Are you running the Christian life just enough to be equal or a little better than the rest? We need to be living Christians today. And a living Christian, how does that look? Their countenance shines in a world of darkness. Their confidence stands amidst a crumbling, a crumbling society. And their compassion shows in a world of despair. May God help us to be that kind of believer. A living Christian. A living Christian. Do you know Christ is your Savior? If you haven't settled that one, you need to get it settled. See, you know what the thing is about believers today? If you're lost without Christ, if you've never invited Christ in your life, we have a purpose we exist with a purpose to live. We, we have more to, to lean on. We have more to, to, to look forward to than just what's going on. You know, if, if I didn't know Christ in my life, I would look at this world and feel very hopeless right now. There's so many things that are out of sorts. 
But you know what? I don't feel that way. I mean, I have, I have children that have little babies, and I don't feel sorry for the babies. They're going to grow up in a society and going to have the same Jesus I have. I'm not saying it's going to be easy on them. It's not easy on anybody growing up. But they have Jesus Christ. And you know what? I can mope around my house with a horrible countenance. I can act, have no confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will pass that on to my children. Or I can walk with my head high saying I'm a child of God and I trust in the living God. And you know what? It's okay. Everything's all right in my father's house. And I can love people and I can share with people and I can raise a generation to do the same. And let's not get caught up in it. Listen, if you're lost today, turn from the dark side and get in on the light. The light is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved, he says. Man, you're under condemnation, friend. You're gonna pay for your sin if you don't let Jesus pay for it. He died for you. Let him pay for your sin. And this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. And he goes on to say because their deeds are evil. Listen, turn from the darkness. Turn to Jesus Christ today. Get saved and have some purpose. Realize that life isn't just going to end in a grave. It's going to continue for eternity and you'll be with the Lord. You have both this life and the next to enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ if you'll trust him today. It's well worth it, the decision of trusting him. Get saved today. Child of God, will you be a living Christian? Countenance, confidence, and compassion being evident in the world we live? I pray you will. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We are a needy people today. And what are we going to do without you, Lord? Nothing. We can do nothing without you. That's what you said. We can do absolutely nothing without you. I'm begging you, and I'm praying that you'll speak to every heart. Lord, we are a people that are in need. Father, uh, I, I can only trust you. I pray I'd be a living Christian, one that's different, one that's visibly unique in the world in which we live, one that is walking in the light, not the darkness, whose countenance shines, whose confidence stands, whose compassion shows. I pray, Lord, you'd be at the people of God. May you help them, Father, to be and want the same thing. Oh, God, we live in a world of darkness today. They need to see you, the light. They don't need to see us, but they do need to see you through us and in us. Bless us and help us. We love you, Lord. We need you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed.